0: And thank you, Brother Frank. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let me give you a little word of uh, explanation for those of you who may be wondering. I do not believe that I am actively dying from the plague. Uh, I have uh, a lot of uh, very permanent lung damage from some cancer and chemotherapy a number of years ago. And uh, it just kind of seems to uh, grab a hold of me every couple of years Uh, for a couple of weeks, and so we're kind of in the middle of that, so uh, don't worry. I don't think I'm actively spreading the plague, Uh, but I do covet your prayers. The doctors are going to do a CAT scan sometime in the next couple of weeks just to check on uh, any changes or things that might be going on, so I do covet your prayers in that. I pray you had a good Christmas, amen? Amen. Hey, isn't it good to know Jesus has come? Isn't it good to know Jesus is coming again? Looking forward to that. You know, there's a lot of buildup that goes into the Christmas season. There's so much meaning to it. There's so much involved in our celebrations. You think of the gifts and the buying and the building, the songs, the food, the the family and the travel. And then it it seems like sometimes, as quickly as Christmas comes, it's gone. And if all it is is an annual nice reminder, a quaint reunion, or a refreshing rest, then, then maybe it's been a nice week. But really, this thing of... God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world should be so much more than a one-day celebration. Amen? Because like we learned from the Christmas story, Jesus changes everything. You know, the beauty of this thing about Jesus is that the story of Jesus doesn't stop with Luke chapter 2 and verse number 19, where the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. No, in fact, that really is just the beginning of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. In fact, I think sometimes we forget that Luke 2 doesn't stop with the Christmas story. In fact, Luke 2 continues with a number of the details of Jesus' early earthly life. And I want to look at these Last two verses of Luke chapter 2 this morning is, we prepare to close out 2023 and we prepare to enter 2024. Boy, that's hard to believe, isn't it? But I want to look at these last two verses and just draw some applications this morning from the life and example of Jesus about how we ought to live coming into this new year on the other side of Christmas. Let's notice a few things together this morning if we could. Verse number 51. The Bible says, and he, speaking of Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. As we look at Jesus in his early life and the example that he sets for us, I want to notice first of all, where do we go from here? Number one, surrender to God's plan for your life. Surrender to God's plan for your life. You know, what I love as we begin to look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus shows us that God has a plan for our lives and that we must be surrendered to it. Verse 51 and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. This verse comes at the end of the account of 12-year-old Jesus and his family as they had gone up to Jerusalem for a feast. Many of you will be familiar with the account as as after the feast, Mary and Joseph, uh, they left Jerusalem and headed back, and they left Jesus in Jerusalem. Now, I know that's a mistake nobody has ever made, leaving a kid at church or at the store or anything like that. But Mary and Joseph did. They left Jesus. And it's an interesting account and much can be said as they went back to Jerusalem and after three days they found him with the religious leaders. As they addressed Jesus, much could be said about what was going on. But the point was this. I want you to see what Jesus told them in Luke 2 and verse number 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not, or didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? You see, even very early on, Jesus recognized that that God had a plan for his life and was fully surrendered to it. And you know, the theme of surrender to the father's plan runs throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. John 4, in verse number 34, look what Jesus said. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 5, in verse number 30, Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but what does it say, church? But the will of the Father which hath sent me. John 6 and verse number 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Even there in the garden, before Jesus went to the cross, what was this prayer? Matthew 26 and verse number 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, say it with me, church. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Church, as we prepare to go into 2024, may we never forget that God has a plan for us. Hey, make it personal. May I never forget that God has a plan for me. That there is the Father's will that I need to seek and submit to. God has a plan for you. Yeah. Psalm 37 in verse number 23 says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. I love Psalm 118, verse number 24. The Bible says this, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to think about those verses. That God, He he orders our steps. That God, He crafts our days. You know what that means? That means the details of our life are not random. That means the situations of our life are not by mistake. That means that God has a reason for every season. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. You say, preacher, what is that? I'm going to tell you, first of all, if you're not saved, God's will is that you get saved. God's will is that you turn from your sin and that you turn to the Savior. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're here and you don't... Know where you stand with God. I'm going to tell you, we don't go to heaven because we're good people, because we're church people, because we're baptized people, because we're generous people. We don't go to heaven because we intend to do certain things. We don't go to heaven because we know a lot about God. We go to heaven because we have received the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. And the blood of Jesus has washed away our sins. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, or if you're here and you have questions about, uh, about where you stand with God, get it settled today. God has a plan for you. Get saved. I'm going to tell you, you think you're living life. But, but you know nothing about living life until you've received Jesus' eternal life and you can start living his abundant life. Get saved. But Christian, get serious. Get serious. I think sometimes we just kind of piddle our way through life and we consider it, consider it a success as long as we're able to lay our head down in the same bed that we got out of and we don't mess up too many things along the way. God has a plan for your life. God has a will for you to accomplish. God has a difference for you to make. You say, preacher, well, I, I'm, I'm just a young person. So was Jesus. He was 12 in that passage. You say, Jesus, you say, preacher, well, well, I don't don't really like all of my circumstances. I feel like my circumstances hold me back. You know, Jesus was the very son of God. And yet, what do we find in in Luke 2, verse 51, that he went down and he was subject to Mary and to Joseph. You don't think the son of God had potential beyond his earthly parents? And yet he was subject to them. You say, preacher, I have passed my prime. What does God have left for me? I'm going to tell you, God has a reason for every season. And we would do well to quit squandering what he's given us, to quit looking at what we don't have and embrace what we do have and get serious about making a difference for God. Where do we go from here? What does Jesus teach us? Well, he teaches us the need to surrender to God's plan for your life. Christian, God has a plan, and we need to seek that plan, and we need to submit to that plan. Every season has a reason. No situation is random. We are not victims. We are not helpless or hopeless. Turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. Open your Bible. Go outside. Ask God what to do and do it. I'm going to tell you the beautiful thing is God's will for your life isn't meant to be a mystery. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Beautiful scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. <clears throat> and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what church? And he shall direct thy path. He shall. God's will is not meant to be a mystery. Sometimes we think, well, God's plan for my life. I just, I don't know that I can ever find it or figure it out. Sometimes we act like God's playing hide and seek with us. Come on, come on, come on, Eric, follow me. Follow me, Eric. Come on, Eric. What's that, Eric? What's he going to do? That's not what God does to us. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. You see, the problem is, some of us, it's not that we don't know what God wants from us. And it's not that we don't know what God wants for us. It's that we don't want to surrender to it. What does Jesus teach us? We need to surrender to God's plan for our life. I'm going to tell you, we do that. We're going to have a blessed year, amen? Amen. That's not all Jesus teaches us. As we move from this Christmas season into a new year, we find, verse 51, we'll go back to it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And his Mary, his mother, kept all these things in her heart. Verse 52, it says, In Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor (coughs) with God and man. So number one, we see what, church? We see that, uh, where do we go from here? Number one, we find a surrender to God's plan for your life. Number two, we see a pursuit of godly progress in your life. Not only does Jesus give us an example of surrender to God's will, God's plan, But Jesus also exemplifies the pursuit of godly progress and development. Verse 52 says, and Jesus increased. The word increase means to drive forward, to advance, to grow. A beautiful, I guess, illustration of this would be a blacksmith. If you've ever seen a blacksmith, take that piece of metal and begin to hammer it out. And he'll begin to lengthen it and shape it and form it and fashion it. That's the picture that's being used here. That there is an effort. There is a pursuit. There is a drive. There is, there is that, 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 that implication that we take what is there and we draw it out, mold it and fashion it intentionally into its fullest potential. Jesus is an example of this. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself to experience a very natural maturation process, Uh, physical, he grew, emotional, spiritual. How? I don't really understand how all that works, how how infinite God can humble himself and and limit himself in that fashion to experience a, a maturation process, a maturing process like you and I. I don't understand how it all works, but I know it did because the Bible says so. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so, what I do know is that there was an intentionality with with which Jesus increased. Church, as we consider this, where do we go from here? A pursuit of godly progress in life. You know, I'm reminded this morning that growth is not so much a product, but a process. And we all want the product, don't we? We all want the product. I think about the little basketball team that I get to coach. They're not little, I shouldn't say that. I think of those young men that I get to coach, those junior high boys. You know what every basketball team I've ever coached has wanted? They've wanted a championship. (laughs) At the very least, they've wanted a, a winning season. A couple, of, a couple of good games. They, they've all wanted to make a basket, to have some play, they can look back and hang their hat on. and they, they all want the product. I have never coached one team that said, "You know what? You know what? It's OK if we lose every game. I'm just here to have fun with my friends. I've never coached one team. I coach uh, seven- and eight-year-olds in soccer, and that wasn't the case. They want to win. They want to win. Everybody wants the product. But here's what I find, especially these days as I coach sports. Everybody wants the product, but very few people are willing to accept the process. You see, more than doing this, I guarantee you my ball players have been doing this. <laughs> Guess what? This... It doesn't teach you how to do this. We want the product, amen? But we're often far slower to want the process. But here's the problem. You can't have the product without the process. You know, I know a lot of Christians who want to be mature Christians, who want to grow, who want to be stronger in their faith and stronger in their walk. We all want the product. We want a stronger family. We want a stronger marriage. We want, we want godly kids raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want, we want sound finances. We want all these things. Oh, we, we all want the product. But the problem is we're not all engaged in the process. And the thing is you cannot presume upon the process. I'm afraid we think that, that, that development happens just because we're alive. I'm afraid sometimes that we think that just because another year has passed, that we have grown. But again, that's not really how this thing works. In fact, the writer of Hebrews made this comment in Hebrews 5 in verse number 12. He said, for when, for when, for when the time he ought to have been teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And ye are become such that has a need of milk and not strong meat. In other words, the writer of Hebrews, and Paul says a similar thing to the church at Corinth, says, You ought to be old enough to eat meat from your own plate. And yet you're still, after all this time, being bottle fed. You see, we can't have the product without the process. But we also cannot presume the process. Christian, you cannot presume the process. You have to pursue the process. I don't know about you, but I want to increase this year for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I want to grow this year for the glory of God. Remember that word increase is like a blacksmith and he takes what's there, that metal, and he begins to hammer it out and he begins to hammer it and lengthen it and lengthen it and lengthen it and shape it and mold it and fashion it. I want to increase this year for the glory of God. And by the way, Christian, we are each responsible to increase what we have been given. Notice a couple of areas here that Jesus increased. He increased in wisdom. What is wisdom? (laughs) Wisdom can simply be defined as skill at living. Skill at living. We have tons of knowledge about life. We live in the most knowledgeable age that has ever existed. Somebody asked me a question the other day, or somebody said that they were going to ask me a question the other day about the Ottoman Empire. And they said, but I thought instead of asking you the question about the Ottoman Empire, I would Google it. And so Google replaced you today, pastor, is what they told me. And I said, well, that is fine. Because had you asked me a question about the Ottoman Empire, I would have Googled it. All you did was cut out the middleman. You see, we have so much knowledge at our fingertips. Anybody in the world can get on YouTube and learn how to barbecue a zebra. I mean, I'm sure it's there. Anything you want to know, you can come to know. The problem is, isn't that we don't know enough. The problem is, is we have no idea how to live. We, we have become so full of knowledge, but we have become so poor at living. That's right. Amen. We need more wisdom to know how to live the life that God has given us. Oh, Proverbs 8 and verse 11 reminds us about wisdom, that it is better than rubies. It's better than all things that can be compared to it. James 1 reminds us that if any of us lack wisdom, we can do what? We can ask of God. You see, here's the thing, church. This world, this world is a mess. People don't know how to live anymore. But the problem is, is the church of Jesus Christ isn't much different. You look at our lives, and statistically, our lives are largely just as big a mess as the world's. We need to increase in wisdom this year, skill at living. You know, that's part of being our light, is that the world can take a look and say, wow, you know, there is something different about those people. There is something different about the way they live. There is something different about what's going on there. We need wisdom. We have tons of knowledge about life. But boy, how we need more wisdom to know how to live life. I'm going to tell you, that's okay. Because we know where wisdom comes from, amen? Amen. Jesus increased in wisdom. Let me give you this other one, I'll hit it quick and we'll move on. He also increased in stature. That has to do with his physical being. Now, most of us in this room are done growing this way, right? We may still grow in other ways. But might I offer a word of pastoral care? Perhaps this year, even if we're not growing in stature, we can be growing and doing what we can to take care of our stature, of our physical self. There are a whole lot of believers that cut themselves short because we we self-inflict the way we take care of our bodies. Our bodies are God's gift to us. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives within us. And we ought to do what we can to take care of what God has given. Amen? Amen. So, how do I do this? How do I accomplish this pursuit of godly progress in life? Let me give a couple thoughts. Evaluate. Evaluate. New Year's is a great time for this, isn't it? Where am I? Where am I? Where can I increase? Where can I grow? Where am I headed? You know, here's the thing about your direction your direction will determine your destination. We went to uh, Indiana to spend a couple of days with Amy's family. I got on the turnpike, and I went west. Why? Because I wanted to go to Indiana, not Pennsylvania. Your direction will determine your destination. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. we, We need to make sure that we are putting our energy in the right direction. Where am I? Where do I need to be? How can I grow? Where can I increase? Evaluate a little bit. When we evaluate, we need to come with some humility and some honesty. You know, some of us this year maybe need to admit we need some help in some areas. We need some mentors in some areas. We need some guides in some areas. Maybe we could connect ourselves with someone who's farther along in the process than we are. Somebody who's doing it well. Somebody who's doing it right. A little humility and honesty. Evaluate. Evaluate with humility and honesty, and then give some energy to it. You know, the examples given of the Christian life are not examples of leisure, but examples of labor. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it gives us several different examples. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, sorry, beginning in verse number 3. The Bible here first says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The first example we see here is that of a soldier. When I think of a life of a soldier, I don't think of a life of leisure. I think of a life of sacrifice, of great labor, of very focused intent, of a very consuming cause that allows him to endure that hardness. In verse number five, Paul gives another example. If a man strive for masteries, that means that competition, yet is he not crowned except that he strive lawfully. Here we have the example of an athlete. An athlete who trains and works, what for that goal? To be able to run that distance, to be able to throw that ball, to be able to hit that thing, to be able to swim, to be able to do whatever. We have that example of someone who dedicates himself day and night, goes to bed early, gets up early, eats right, says no to McDonald's, conditions himself. Verse 6, we see another example. The husband and the farmer that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits, again a farmer, Not a life of leisure, but a life of labor. Here's the thing about progress. Here's the thing about growth. Here's the thing about increase in life. Substantial progress doesn't come to the masses, and it doesn't come by mistake. It comes from intentional, godly pursuit. And so where do we go from here? Well, surrender to God's will in your life. Secondly, we see the pursuit of godly progress in life. Let me show you one more thing that Jesus teaches us and will be done this morning. Verse 52, the Bible says, When Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Where do we go from here, church? Number one, what do we see? We see the surrender to God's plan for your life. God has a plan for you. It is a good plan. It is a perfect plan. God has a plan for you. Accept it, seek it, surrender to it. Secondly, we see what? The example of Jesus teaches us of the pursuit of godly progress in life. Jesus increased. Where are we going to increase this year? Where are we going to grow? Finally, this morning, the Bible says He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Finally, this morning, I want us to see simply this, the priority of genuine relationships in life. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. You know, sometimes I think we take for granted how important our relationships are. You know, relationships are one of the few things from this life that are eternal because relationships involve people, and people are souls. I'm going to tell you, as we move into this next year, we have a lot of things to consider. You might have resolutions. You might consider resources, things like that. But here's the consideration. Put an emphasis back on relationships. Put an emphasis back on relationships. You know, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. Period. Period. I don't know about you, but I want to deepen my relationship with God this year. I want to know more about him this year than I did last year. But I'm going to tell you, knowing more about him is just a start. I want to be closer to him this year than I am, was last year. I want to be more like him this next year than I was last year. I want to share his heart and mind more fully this coming year than I did last year. I think sometimes people think that because they've gone to a few Sunday school classes that they know all there is to know about God. It amazes me how many people, they never admit it, but their life, their conversation, their passion, it it communicates loudly, it screams. They would never admit it verbally, but their life screams it. People are bored with God. But I'm going to tell you, if you're bored with God, then you know him way less than you think you do. I'm going to tell you, one of the scariest things out there is that there are a lot of people who think they know God, but they don't. In fact, Jesus gives this warning in Matthew 7. Some of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, read it with me, church, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, some of the saddest verses there in all the Bible are people who think they know God. People who think they're going to heaven, and they're not. And Jesus will look at them one day and say, I never knew you. It's a sad thing that people could come to church and know that their soul is not where it needs to be with God. And leave the same way they came. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've never made that decision to surrender your life to Christ. It's a sad thing. You couldn't go to Him, so He came to you. You deserved death, so He died your death that you might have His life. And what a sad thing for people to come and to hear that Jesus paid it all. <laughs> And leave it where it sits. I think just as sad is for the Christian who comes. and The Christian who knows their heart is not right with God. You haven't walked with God like you should. You haven't been in His Word. You have no sweet fellowship. Your relationship with God is professional at best. And it is hypocritical at worst. It's a show. It's a mask. And you come, and God's Word is opened, and the heart and mind of God are extended to you. The grace of God is extended to you, and we listen, and we think that's nice, and we think maybe one day things will be different. Why one day? Why not today? I'm going to tell you, the only thing keeping you from being closer to God today than you were yesterday, from being right with God when you walk out that door, the only thing keeping you from that is you, is your pride, your unwillingness to admit your need, your unwillingness to cast yourself on the grace, the undeserved kindness of Jesus. Oh, it doesn't matter what you've done. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how far you are. The Bible says if we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. I'm going to tell you the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. So many things in our life take priority. But why don't we put that priority back where it belongs? On our relationship with God. I love the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 13. We see this. And ye shall seek me, Jehovah says, and ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Revelation 3 and verse 20 written to the church. There Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and him, he with me. I'm going to tell you there's no better way to end this year and start the next. Than by leaving this service closer to God than when you came. And the beautiful thing is this. I love the order of the scriptures. The Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. As our relationship with God increases and grows, so then does our relationship with others. You know, as we grow in our relationship with God, then we can truly begin to grow in our relationship with those around us. You know, this year could be the most blessed year of your marriage. This year could be the most blessed year of your family. This year could be the most blessed year of your parenting. This year could be the most blessed year of your church life. Some of you, some of you, you feel very disconnected from your church. You don't have to stay that way. This coming year could be the best year you have. You might be saved for 60 years, and yet this year could be the best year that you have ever had in church. Why? Because we put the emphasis, the priority, back where it belongs. And it's not on programs, and it's not on resources, and it's not on things, and it's not on buildings, and it's not on positions. It's on people. And the thing about relationships is simply this. We're going to get out of it, what we put into it. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I'm glad Jesus gives us an example. Amen. Number one, where are we going to go from here, church? We're going to surrender to God's plan for your life. Seek it. Surrender to it. Secondly, what are we going to do? We're going to pursuit of godly progress in life. Where are you growing this year? Evaluate. Humble honest and put some energy to it. And finally this morning, what do we see? We see the priority of genuine relationships in life. Here's the beautiful thing. Life is a gift, amen? God is good, amen? And I don't know about you, but when I put those two things together, I am so looking forward to all God has in store for us in the year to come. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed.